Part of the climate agenda, along racial lines no less, is the claim that we're running out of fresh water. You do know it literally falls from the sky, right? Or is that too much truth for the baiters? Well, you're in the home of the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. And since when do people on the left require actual truth? It doesn't matter what it is, if it doesn't kind of line up with what they think or what they want. They just simply dismiss it out of hand. Like, ah, that's just them pontificating. We've got plenty of that for you today at TNN Live, and I want to thank you for joining us. It seems like every week now, when we get to the middle of the week, there's been huge buildup in the front half, half of the week with a lot of things. Many are very important things. And it's hard to filter through and get what is most important and get it all in and get it all covered so that you have a consensus of where you ought to begin thinking, what you ought to use to formulate your thoughts on the important things in life. That's what we have got to do, we the people. We've got to figure it out and start making good choices. So many moving things on our target today. Think about the debacles we're dealing with. We have this never-changing thing down at our southern border, flooding all kinds of people that are coming into the nation illegally. And it's just tearing our nation apart, literally the fiber, economically, socially, criminal justice, everything turned upside down. And everybody wants to point fingers and blame somebody else for what happens. Nobody wants to take accountability. That's the world in which we live. And we have a whole generation of educators, of politicians that are teaching our young children and their children how to deflect instead of taking on the hard choices and making those hard choices and even teaching their children how to make the hard choices based upon factual information. It always gets better if you make it that way. If you d- and, and another thing that they're teaching today is if you don't have to make a choice, don't make a choice. Just roll with whatever comes along. And that gets you in a whole lot more trouble than even if you make a bad choice. You know why? Because if you make a choice of any kind, you've got a starting point. If you need to come and undo it, redo it, change it, You can do that because you can go back to one specific spot and start over there instead of having to start again from scratch. Accountability is one of the most important things you and I need to teach our kids and our grandkids. We've got to be accountable for what we do and for what we don't do. So we're all about that and a whole lot more today. Thank you for joining us. Get set for a good, good day.
coming real soon. I get asked from time to time, do you really believe in heaven? (laughs) 
I have the same answer I had when I was 10 years old. Yeah, I believe in heaven. Well, how do you know there really is a heaven? Well, let me ask you this. How do you know there's really air out there? How do you know there's really wind? You don't see the air. You don't see the wind, but you know it's there, and so you just believe it's there. Believe is the key word. I believe there's a real heaven. And more importantly than that is I believe I'm headed that way. Huh. Why? How can you say that, Dan? It's because I created with the assistance of heaven, a personal relationship with God. That makes everything a whole lot better. I don't care how good circumstances make something. When God's right there, snap, dab in the middle of it, it's got to be better. And that's a much better place to live than always looking over your shoulder wondering, What's going to happen? I was, I was, I did something wrong. I was evil. I was bad. What's going to happen? They're going to come get me. Fear is not a good place to live. And you can clear it all up. Just pray about it. Talk to God, just like I'm talking to you now and say, Hey, I don't understand this. Can you give me some idea? Give me some guidance. Help me think this through. You'll find out for yourself. And if you need to talk to somebody or get a hold of some kind of expert regarding anything in your life that you really need to take care of, reach out to us, Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. We'll put you in touch with whatever speciality person you need. We don't know everything. Don't even pretend to, but we pretty much know how to put you in touch with people that are experts at whatever your need is. So where are we going today on the show? Well, we started in heaven, talking about it's just a matter of time, and we're all going there. That's a good place to start. We've got a lot of moving parts going on in our lives today. Too many to count. And we can't just lay them down and forget about them, not talk about them, not think about them. They're not going away, good or bad or ugly. They're going to be there when the day is over, almost all of them. So isn't it a good idea to just launch right into the middle of it all? So what's the biggie that's laying out there? Nobody can credibly tell you that it is not the formal impeachment inquiry that was launched yesterday by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And it is going to go in very diligently, very quickly. It's going to go into making all of the necessary moves to be able to access all of the ancillary information that goes into deciding if this president has committed an impeachable offense. That's got to line up with the U.S. Constitution, Article 1. It's there. And so how do they do that? It's going to take some time. But now they have some bullets in their gun, do the Republicans, because making it a formal inquiry, it gives them more power at forcing to get information, documents, evidence that this administration has blockaded the Republican Party from getting access to. Now, before we launch into today's first segment, I want to ask you this one question. When you were a kid and you did something wrong 
and you got confronted by your mom or your dad about it, or your teacher, your coach, or your principal at school, whoever confronts you about it, we all, from time to time, told a lie, didn't we? We tried to hide what we did. And sometimes we try to hide it by lying about it, by saying, I didn't do that. I didn't do anything like that. And then what's the obvious explanation? That whoever is holding us accountable, what do they say? What's the position they take? Well, show me everything. If you didn't do anything wrong, just give me the proof that shows that what you did wasn't wrong. It's no different for this president, Joe Biden, if he did not take money illegally from all of these foreign countries, if he did not break laws, if he did not commit impeachable offenses, all you have to do, Mr. President, is you don't have to send us anything. You don't even have to come talk to us. Just show us everything. Show us that all the stuff that you allegedly did, that the documentation out there, which is in abundance, we all know that, show us and prove that you didn't do what's alleged, and many people have come forward testifying that you did do it. If you didn't do it, hey, we'll just truck on down the road together with you in the White House, and if you win it again, we'll be with you for four more years. In most cases, just like when you were a kid and you got confronted, you didn't want to show everything that you did if you did something wrong. And, of course, if you didn't, here, here, Mom, here, Dad, here it is. I didn't cheat. I didn't do that. And you're in the clear. Last night, Jesse Waters made the most amazing combination of explanations of what is happening in this Joe Biden impeachment inquiry and why. I thought it'd be better for me not to just tell you about it, but to let you listen to yourself. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's officially opened an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. Taken together, these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. Joe Biden's legacy, his presidency, and his family's freedom and fortune are now on the line. An impeachment inquiry will ultimately unlock President Joe Biden's bank accounts his offshore bank accounts, and his family spiderweb of shells. The impeachment inquiry also focuses on the cover-up, the Biden administration's obstruction of justice. This will lead here. One, Biden resigns before the end of the year. Two, Biden and the Democrats tangle with the House, continue with the cover-up, and expose the president even more, forcing the House to move to an official impeachment with months of televised hearings and a full House floor vote which could send articles of impeachment to the Senate for trial. Or three, the impeachment inquiry stays an inquiry and drags out, making the Republicans look weak and foolish. Now, are the Democrats walking into a trap? Hillary Vaughn asked. You basically dared 
House Republicans to launch this impeachment inquiry. Now they have. Yeah. Oh, do you regret it? No, please don't do it. It's, it's just like those dangerous men over there, you know, the, the cheap thrills and everything. I, I don't know. It's just to me, it's, it's just like the, if they got to do it, they got to do it. You know, are, are you conf- it's a political loser. Are you confident the president did nothing wrong? Yes, I am. I am. How? I, I, I absolutely am confident. Uh, that was Senator Bob Casey's face on his shoulder. Senator sick. So I guess that's is what it is. And we hope he's better. The president did nothing wrong as their defense. Denial's not a defense. The Democrats will have to mount a defense to specific allegations. Allegations based upon witness testimony, bank records, emails, voicemails, texts, photographs, and whistleblowers. For instance, Putin's billionaire buddy wired the Biden family three and a half mil sat down to dinner with Joe, and then President Joe Biden mysteriously left her off the sanctions list. Why? Joe Biden flew Hunter to China on Air Force Two. He returned with a bag of money, demanded more money or his dad would get revenge, and in return, Joe Biden facilitated purchases of American car companies, wrote letters of recommendations to colleges, disbanded the FBI's China task force, covered up the lab leak, and didn't pop the balloon until it floated across the country. Then Joe Biden lied about his family being paid by China. Why? The Chinese bribed Hunter Biden with a three and a half carat diamond. Why? Joe Biden flew Hunter to Mexico, where he met with the president and a billionaire. Hunter took the money, then walked his Mexican clients into the West Wing. Why? Why did the Biden family use 20 shell companies? Why'd they use burner phones? Why'd Joe Biden use alias emails? When Joe Biden took his family to St. Croix to the Caribbean for eight straight years, who paid? What was Joe Biden doing at business dinners and on phone calls and in White House meetings with his son's dirty clients? How do they explain emails that they're saying they're holding 10 for the big guy? And that Hunter gives half his salary to dad. How? How do they explain the commingled accounts? Hunter paying his father's household expenses, his father's phone bills. And why every time someone zeroes in on the Bidens, there's trouble. Trump gets impeached. The laptop gets censored. The whistleblowers get boxed in. Why did an FBI informant say Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe from Ukraine? Bribery is an impeachable offense. After all of that evidence, how can you say Biden wasn't for sale and he didn't know he was for sale? You can't. How can you say Joe Biden didn't benefit when he did and when his whole family did? You can't. But it'll be fun to watch him try. You know what? For those of us that really believe that there was wrongdoing on the part of this president, honestly, I have not a single question that he did do probably even more wrongdoings than we think we even know. For anybody that's right there, if you're going to talk about it with your friends, ask questions or whatever, when they bring up all of their objections, when you asked like Jesse just did, all the stuff that Biden did right after it, the question, the only one that matters is why. Why was all of this, all the money, all the meetings, all the people, why did any of that happen unless there were other than United States government objectives, what else? Why did he do them? They didn't pertain 
to the U.S. government, where he was vice president at the time. If he gives us those answers, and they're truthful, and they're not what they appear to be, he'll be okay. But I don't think that's what's in store for our president. I really do think there's more. Last night on Hannity, I just flipped over and saw like maybe two or three minutes of uh, Hannity, and I forget who the guest was he had on, but they were talking about the money, the $20 million so far that has been absolutely confirmed that got paid to a whole bunch of people, but it was all coming through this conduit of Biden family people access, all the things that went into that. And whoever Hannity's guest was, I can't believe I forgot who it is, the uh, the guest asked a question. Um, no, the guest didn't ask a question. Sean did. Basically parroting what you just heard Jesse ask. Why? Why? And this guest said, you know, when we find out where that money came from and where it went, we'll have our answers. And Hannity made this statement, and my ears perked up, and I'm telling you, Hannity said this, to his guest he said, we know now where the money came from and where it went. Be watching this show because we're going to reveal it. When he said that, Sean Hannity, he's been around a long time. This is what he does. He's very good at it, one of the best there ever has been. I don't think Sean Hannity would say we've got the answer unless he had the answer. So boy, he got me perked up. I want to know what's going on. So what happens now? Well, Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, explained yesterday he's got three committee chairs, three people that are chairs of other committees in the House, and he has tasked them, these three leaders, to lead the Biden impeachment inquiry. Let's tell you a little bit about them. Per McCarthy, Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is going to lead the inquiry in coordination with the Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan and Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith. All three of these guys you see all the time. So in this bombshell announcement from the Capitol yesterday, Speaker McCarthy claimed, quote, House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. Taken together, these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption. The three committee chairmen charged with McCarthy to lead this thing, they each have different styles, different temperaments, that McCarthy will count on to complement one another in making their case to the American people, and perhaps a few of their colleagues, as the long-anticipated inquiry takes center stage, which it will. However, in directing this inquiry, McCarthy has only promised to go where the evidence takes him. Comer, I'll just tell you a little bit about the three guys, if you don't already know them. Comer's a genteel Kentuckian, soft-spoken, whose panel possesses broad oversight responsibility of the entire federal government. Took the top spot in the committee in mid-2020 after Mark Meadows' departure from Congress to serve as President Trump's chief of staff. 
Although taking over the committee without a reputation as a publicity hound, Comer has been a dogged, effective messenger who has taken the Biden administration to task and investigating COVID's origin. But you forgot he was doing that. Comer's perhaps the House Republican most associated with calls for more information on Hunter's business dealings and Joe's involvement. Yesterday, Comer demanded Secretary of State Antony Blinken provide information on then-VP Joe Biden's abrupt policy shift against that prosecutor, Victor Shokin, who investigated Burisma Holdings in Ukraine. Burisma is the Ukrainian energy company. They did pay Hunter Biden $83,333.33 a month for two years. That's a million bucks in each year. Despite Hunter having little to no prior work in the energy sector. Jim Jordan from Ohio. He's a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus. Has a reputation as a thorn in speaker's sides. He's transitioned into a loyal McCarthy ally. Often serving as a bridge between the leadership and the block of conservatives that are really, really squeaky conservatives, and they're very hard-pressed to stray away from their ideals. As McCarthy's top attack dog, Jordan also leads the House Republicans panel investigating the weaponization of the federal government and has earned the scorn of Democrat colleagues for his very, very aggressive tactics. An attorney intimately familiar with the impeachment process, Jordan has used his position on the judiciary panel to defend former President Trump against what he calls overzealous and politically motivated prosecutors, accusing Fulton County DA Fannie Willis of interfering with the federal election. We'll follow the facts, he said, the Constitution and the law. Speaker McCarthy is right to launch the impeachment inquiry. Jordan tweeted that out yesterday. Perhaps the least known of the trio, Jason Smith, he's in his first Congress as chairman after pulling what many Hill insiders considered an upset in a very contentious battle against the more senior representatives Vern Buchanan of Florida and Adrian Smith of Nebraska. In his sixth term and only 43 years old, Smith is the youngest ever to hold the gavel of the powerful tax-writing body, the oldest committee in the House with broad jurisdiction over tariffs and trade, Social Security, and Medicare. A staple on the House floor, Smith served atop the House Budget Committee last Congress, built a reputation as both the policy wonk and impassioned messenger against Democrats' tax and spending schemes. His style contrasts with previous leaders of Ways and Means, a collegial body not known for housing firebrands. It just doesn't sound warm and fuzzy, something you want to jump into, Ways and Means Committee. (laughs) With a Democrat Senate and White House, Smith has turned his attention to aggressive oversight of the Biden administration, calling Biden's use of fake names and companies very disturbing. His panel's expertise on the Treasury Department is expected to be a valuable asset in the House's inquiry. Now, we laid the platform. There's the foundation of this committee. 
Here's my challenge to those three. How quickly are you going to exert with the power you now have because of this committee, how quickly are you going to do anything and everything it takes to compel anybody that has evidence that we haven't seen or heard from yet to make that happen so that we, the American people, can see what's really going on and we can make choices. After all, we're just barely a year away from choosing who's going to be the next president of the United States. Timing is a really big deal. And of course, Democrats would like to drag this out. We cannot let that happen. We have got to keep it from happening. We need to be down to business and making sure we get it done. Okay, let's switch gears for a minute. Speaking of getting down to business and getting it done, do you remember when this Congress formed, this one, right after the first of the year? Kevin McCarthy was the odds-on favorite to be named as House Speaker. But there were a lot of people, both in the Republican Party and among Democrats, because remember, in the House of Representatives, when it comes time to pick a, a speaker, it doesn't, it doesn't matter which party is in control because every member of the House votes on who the speaker's going to be, not just members of the party that's in the majority. They all had to vote. Kevin had a rough time getting his appointment, and he had to cut some deals. Remember that? Two years ago, you remember all those deals he cut? He had to. So what are those kind of deals? It has to do with positions. It has to do with uh, support coming from the Speaker's office in upcoming elections. All those things rolled into one. That's politicization. We all know about the quid pro quo stuff. But one thing Kevin had to agree to that if he didn't fulfill the promises to his fellow Republicans that he made in order to get appointed Speaker of the House, they were going to come after him. And there's a way in the House that can be done. So much of what the Speaker promised he would do hadn't been done yet. And so guess who steps into and shoots the first shot across McCarthy's bow yesterday on the floor of the House, Representative Matt Gates from down in Florida. And Matt, you're about to hear him yesterday. He doesn't mince words. He goes right for the juggler vein. Here's Matt Gates challenging Kevin McCarthy with facts. On this very floor in January, the whole world witnessed a historic contest for House Speaker. I rise today to serve notice. Mr. Speaker, you are out of compliance with the agreement that allowed you to assume this role. The path forward for the House of Representatives is to either bring you into immediate total compliance or remove you pursuant to a motion to vacate the chair. We have had no vote on term limits or on balanced budgets as the agreement demanded and required. There's been no full release of the January 6th tapes. As you promised, there has been insufficient accountability for the Biden crime family. And instead of cutting spending to raise the debt limit, 
You relied on budgetary gimmicks and rescissions so that you ultimately ended up serving as the valet to underwrite Biden's debt and advance his spending agenda. Mr. Speaker, you boasted in January that we would use the power of the subpoena and the power of the purse. But here we are, eight months later, and we haven't even sent the first subpoena to Hunter Biden. That's how you know that the rushed and you know, somewhat rattled performance you just saw from the speaker isn't real. At this point during Democrat control over the House of Representatives, they had already brought in Don Jr. three times. And we haven't even sent the first subpoena to Hunter Biden power of the subpoena and power of the purse. Only thing the 118th Congress is known for at this point is electing Kevin McCarthy speaker and underwriting Biden's debt. And unfortunately, there's only one of those things we can remediate at this time, power of the purse. Our leadership right now is asking us to vote for a continuing resolution. A vote for a continuing resolution is a vote to continue the Green New Deal, a vote to continue inflationary spending, and in the most troubling of fashions, a vote for a continuing resolution is a vote to continue the election interference of Jack Smith. Mr. Speaker, we told you how to use the power of the purse. Individual, single subject spending bills that would allow us to have specific review, programmatic analysis, and that would allow us to zero out the salaries of the bureaucrats who have broken bad, targeted President Trump, or cut sweetheart deals for Hunter Biden. September 30th is rapidly approaching, and you have not put us in a position to succeed. There is no way to pass all the individual appropriations bills now, and it's not like we didn't know when September 30th was going to show up on the calendar. I must be better, you must be better, and this House must be better, for it is the last best hope for tens of millions of Republicans. We demand real oversight against this weaponized government. Just look at the bribery. If tens of millions of dollars flowing from foreign corrupt people into the bank accounts of the Biden family wasn't enough for actual impeachment, why were we even looking? Joe Biden deserves impeachment for converting the vice presidency into an ATM machine for virtually his entire family. We all see it. We all know it. Now, moments ago, Speaker McCarthy endorsed an impeachment inquiry. This is a baby step following weeks of pressure from House conservatives to do more. We must move faster. Now, I will concede that the votes I have called for will likely fail, term limits, balanced budgets, maybe even impeachment. I am prepared for that eventuality because at least if we take votes, the American people get to see who's fighting for them and who's willing to tolerate more corruption and business as usual. Mr. Speaker, dust off our written January agreement. You have a copy. Reflect on the spirit of that agreement and build on the start that we had moments ago. Begin to comply. No continuing resolutions, individual spending bills are bust, votes on balanced budgets and term limits, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and the members of the Biden family who've been grifting off of this country, and the impeachment for Joe Biden that he so richly deserves. Do these things or face a motion to vacate the chair. And let me alert the country, a motion to vacate might not pass at first, but it might before the 15th vote. And if Democrats bail out McCarthy, as they may do, then I will lead the resistance to this uniparty and the Biden-McCarthy-Jeffries government that they are attempting to build.
I know that Washington isn't a town where people are known for keeping their word. Well, Speaker McCarthy, I'm here to hold you to yours. Wow. I don't think anybody can question how Matt Gates actually feels. And you know what? His feelings echo those of millions of Americans that are tired. I mean, worn out watching the same old, same old stuff happen in Washington, D.C. with no measurable results. It's like they never get anything done. They can't even come up with, as the Constitution demands, a budget. And it's due at the end of this month. Do you realize September 30th, we can't pay our debt? We do not have a budget in place. So there's no money after September 30th to play to pay billions of dollars of interest alone on the bond debt that our U.S. Treasury sold those bonds for to raise money. That's what they do all the time. Far too much of the time, by the way. But the people that hold those bonds, many of who, everybody thinks China owns more of the United States bonds than anybody else. They're not even close. The U.K. owns more percentage-wise of U.S. debt than does China. But that's not the point. Somebody out there owns that debt. And you know who the biggest holder of that debt is? You and me. What does that mean? You have a retirement? Your retirement funds are invested. The companies that you invest with, I don't care who your brokerage firm is. If you have a pension, if you have a simple IRA, or if you have some company, corporate retirement out there, much of it, most of it, as a matter of fact, is invested in treasury bonds. So we're looking at a situation where at the end of this month, because Congress hasn't acted and proactively put together and negotiated and found agreement on a budget for the government for the next year, we can't pay our debt. As of today, the 13th of September, our Treasury doesn't have the money to pay what's due September 30th. I understand why Matt Gates is, uh, I don't want to say he's upset. I'll use the colloquial term, why he's pissed off. More Americans need to be feeling the exact same way. We need to put pressure on those who are in the places where they can make these decisions, and they must do so, not just sit around and pontificate about this and talk about one thing or two things. There are dozens and dozens of very critical issues that must be handled And almost all of those things must be handled in a timely fashion because attached to that, if they don't do it timely, what else can happen? We don't even know, in most cases, what the what else may be. But we all know what else is coming down the pike if we don't pay our debt. We don't pay our debt. People that borrow, that we borrow from, They're not going to buy bonds anymore. For certain, they wouldn't buy a bond from the United States Treasury if the Treasury defaults on paying them their interest that they bought those bonds to get. 
There are so many moving parts. Every day when I sign on on this show, I told you we've got moving parts. We've got a lot of different things that are important that we need to get into. But what's sad is we pay people. We send people to Washington, D.C. that they said when they campaign for whatever office they're in right now, if you elect me, here's what I'm going to do. And attached with every elected office are things that people that hold that office must do to keep the government running. Congress should have already passed a budget. It should have already been to the White House And the White House should have already been negotiating back and forth on different items in the budget. We haven't sent the House, our representatives, haven't sent a budget to the White House for their approval or consideration. Whose fault is that? You know? You know whose fault it's not? Joe Biden. Now think about that during this break. And on the other side of this break, I'm going to give you some blockbuster news and information that came out minutes ago about your finances and my finances and our government's finances and the cost of things that we're paying for. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you could see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24-7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrap deep deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like... <laughs> And finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. The verdict is in. <laughs> Judge Steve Harvey is a hilariously good time. What do you think she spent the money on? Lifo and a butt job. You got as long as you need to respond to that. Judge Steve Harvey, new Tuesday on ABC. There's news out there that none of us wanted to hear, but, you know, it's factual. We might as well just find a way to swallow it. U.S. inflation accelerated in August. 
as gasoline prices jumped. Now, even excluding food and energy, price gains picked up across the board, which is a potentially worrisome sign for our path of inflation. And it's principally because of a jump in gasoline costs. But underlying price pressures were likely mild enough to keep the Federal Reserve on track to hold interest rates steady next week. We've got our fingers crossed. We don't need interest rate hikes. We're at the highest level in a long time. And many people in the marketplace can't take much more. Have you looked around you at the real estate signs, homes for sale, and they're not selling? Let me give an example. I live in one of the nicest neighborhoods, planned neighborhood in Northwest Louisiana, and houses in here, they many times sell before the sign goes up in the front yard. I checked yesterday. There are nine homes for sale here, and most of them have been for sale for 90 days or longer, which never happens. So why could that be? Could be the time of year, you know, going back to school, we just got the kids set. That may be some other reason, but typically it's because people that are buying houses, interest rates have gone up so high, they can't afford the price of the houses that they would have been able to afford a year ago or two years ago. And when you look at the prices of everything going up, it impacts every part of our economy. The Consumer Price Index, a measure of goods and services prices across the U.S. economy, rose 0.6% in August alone. That's almost 1%. That's close to a 12% annual level. That's a faster pace than in July, and it's principally because of the jump in gas prices. Prices rose 0.3% when you strip out the volatile categories of food and energy. That's a hotter pace for so-called core inflation than the previous couple of months. The uptick in core prices reflected higher costs for items like rent, vehicle insurance, and medical care. On an annual basis, prices overall were up 3.7% in August compared to 3.2% in July. Annual core inflation edge lowered to 4.3% in August from 4.7% the prior month. Now, keep in mind, these are not just prices in a vacuum for one month. Think about that. Joe Biden's first year in office, inflation was up. His second year in office, inflation was up. And we're into his third year, and inflation keeps going up. So when they talk to us about inflation, when you see the president out on the stump and he's talking about his great Bidenomics and what good stuff it's doing and he talks about minimal cost increases or whatever, he can only say that if he's looking at one month. Like like this. Prices rose only 0.3% when you strip out the volatile categories of food and energy. 0.3%, that's no rise at all. That's one month. That's over the previous month. It's not over the previous year 
or the year previous to that year. If you pull it all in context of where we are today, economically, folks, we're in trouble. The American family is in trouble. We've not seen interest rates like this in 25 to 30 years. We've not seen prices going up. None of that. And it's happening now on Joe Biden's watch. What are we going to do about it? Well, Biden's apparently not going to do anything about it. Yesterday, he was bragging about how great Bidenomics is doing for the American people. And it's exactly opposite of that. So if the leader of the free world, and more importantly today, the leader of our nation, if he thinks the way things are going are all okay, he has no impetus to make any changes. Remember that old adage you hear here all the time, nothing changes if nothing changes. And when our leader doesn't feel like anything needs to change, it's just going to keep on trucking the way we're going. And that's not good. And you and I are having to live with those inactions that this president should be making, but he refuses to, thinking that everything's okay. Is everything okay with you? You have any issues? Hmm. I don't. I'm joking. I've got tons of them. I'm not afraid. I'm I'm running from fear. I learned a long time ago. I never make good decisions when I make one based on fear. But you just can't help but stand back a little bit, look at the big picture and say, where are we going? Where's this administration taking us? What's tomorrow look like? I mean, if you look at what is allowed and is being told, that is okay. We're all being told it's okay that we have millions of people that this administration just opened the door and let come in here. They brought bundles of criminality and wrongdoing and illegality. They brought all that with them, and this administration has no clue who did what, what they brought in. Think about the disease. People come from other countries. We just assume other countries have the same kind of medical requirements as we do for our children. Our kids are vaccinated. You don't go to school. if Before first grade, if your child's not fully vaccinated for all the usual things. And different diseases, different diseases of all types show up in other countries that we don't see here in large part because of the vaccination process that we take for granted and have for generations. And that's just one little sector. Think about that. And then think about all the money that is being spent that we don't have. We opened the show today talking about our budget. We don't have a budget. We're not close to putting a budget together, which we have to do. We have a government that has normalized the fact that they just fly by the seat of their pants. This administration, when he wakes up in the morning, he decides he wants to spend a few billion dollars at a whim for something, whatever it is. If he can't get it real quickly from Congress, he'll just issue an executive order. 
find some loophole that he can use to spend money. We're looking right now at a situation that is dire, and it's the war in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. We're not part of that. It doesn't directly impact the United States. Yes, it cost us economically, just for a moment, put, a, put aside the money we've invested and the military hardware that we've given them. We buy most, most of our fertilizer comes from Ukraine. Did you know that? And a bunch of farmers in the United States have had to do without the normal fertilizers that they use for their crops, which means our crops production is down. Now, what does that mean to you? Some vegetables and things, other things that are grown, we don't have access to them. Or if we have access to them, they're fewer in number and they're not as healthy. They're not as large. So it takes more of those to do the same things as before. It makes the prices go through the roof. But we can't give Ukraine enough money so that they can straighten out their fertilizer industry. We just can't do that. We just can't do that. And this administration just keeps marching down that road. Texas Representative Chip Roy, he went on a tear yesterday about this very thing. We're about to send another batch of money to Ukraine. How can we justify that? This Ukraine aid package, the White House wants a supplemental. Senate Republicans and Democrats seem inclined to spend that money. Where are you on that? And how problematic is it if your leadership wants to include? Yeah, why are we talking about a Ukraine supplemental when we can't even figure out how to fund our own operation of government to do what it's supposed to do? It sounds like a no. Yeah, I mean, but seriously, why? Why are we doing that? We spent $113 billion in Ukraine. Uh, I want to see what plan there is for actual success in Ukraine. I want to know what Europe is doing to uphold its end of the bargain. And I want to know how every dollar of that $113 billion was spent. Come present that to me as a member of Congress. Then talk to me about what you're doing in Ukraine after we've done our job to fund an American government to do the job for the American people. Does that make sense to you? I mean, he, he put it much better than I did. He basically said, don't talk to me about more money in our budget. Don't talk to me about Ukraine and more money for them unless and until you take care of putting the budget together to fund the people of the United States. Now, Chip Roy is one of 435 members of the House of Representatives, only one of 535 overall. But there are a lot of others that think the same way he does. The problem is the majority doesn't feel that way. How do I know that? If the majority felt that way, we'd stop doing it that way. We'd do it the right way. You heard Matt Gates. He talked about stop giving things away and put spending bills on the floor to consider one at a time, instead of lumping them all in together because you're too lazy to break those bills apart and have honest debate on the individual parts of each bill. Yeah, they may be important. If they are, we'll deal with them. If they're not, we need to stop wasting Americans' money. And that is what we're doing every day.
I'm at this point when it comes to Ukraine. I hate it for Ukraine. I hate it for the Ukrainian people. I think leaders over there, the ones that put all this together and allowed it to happen and have propped it up, and us sending billions of taxpayer dollars over there hasn't done anything to stop the war. So why do we keep doing that? Why not set some parameters before you went the first thing? Here's what we'll do if you will do this. Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky, we demand you to sit down with mediators and talk about what's it going to take to stop this war. Short of that, we shouldn't spend a dime. We should be done. The only reason you're supposed to have a war is when you can't reach consensus. The leadership of both countries, you can't get together and come up with a plan that solves all of the disagreements you're having. That should be the only reason you would ever consider war, if you would consider it then. Did this happen with Zelensky and Putin? No, it didn't. Have we gone in and orchestrated a get-together between the two leaders? No, we haven't. I wonder why. You think it may have a little bit to do with the feckless leadership we have in our State Department, in our Department of Defense, maybe in our U.S. Treasury? If you don't have right-thinking people in management, I don't care if it's a company, a town, a little city, a state, or in Washington, D.C., if you don't have some really good thinkers that understand how to reconcile differences between people, you're never going to be successful at getting any kind of peaceful resolution. And then I ask this question when I get to that point. Maybe they like it being a war between the two. That's a frightening thought. Let's move on. We hear about our CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, all the time. We see movies about them, Mission Impossible, all those spy movies. It deals with the Central Intelligence Agency, and it's been kind of propped up as a cool place, a cool operation, and everybody that works there is cool. I'm going to tell you this. You need to forget about that perspective. They're just everyday, regular people like us. They face the same roadblocks, the same challenges as you and I face, and maybe some more because you know what? They see things that you and I don't have to process because we don't see or hear them. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes I'm told I'd be scared to death if I really knew what was going on behind the scenes. But isn't it interesting that when there's wrongdoing among any of our intelligence agencies, we eventually find out, but it's usually a roundabout way. We don't get it through the front door. We don't get it through committee hearings. We only get it when a whistleblower steps forward. The CIA is front and center in that venue today. They gave financial rewards to six analysts. Now, this is the CIA Central Intelligence Agency. You don't think they would get into medicine stuff, do you? Well, they did. 
that gave financial rewards to six analysts who covered up the lab leak investigation in Wuhan, China. You know, that being the probable source of COVID-19 leaking from that lab in Wuhan. And guess where this information comes from? Whistleblowers. The CIA gave six analysts financial rewards for changing their position on the lab leak coronavirus origin theory. That's according to whistleblower testimony released by House investigators. The House Oversight Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic wrote letters yesterday to CIA Director William Burns and former CIA Chief Operating Officer Andrew McRitus outlining whistleblower testimony accusing the CIA of giving monetary incentives to six agents, six CIA agents on its COVID discovery team to change their position on the lab leak hypothesis. According to the lawmakers, the whistleblower is a multi-decade senior level current agency officer. In other words, somebody that knows. According to this whistleblower, the agency assigned seven officers to a COVID discovery team. The team consisted of multidisciplinary and experienced officers who had significant scientific expertise. So they knew what they were doing, in other words. According to the whistleblower, at the end of its review, six of the seven believed the intelligence and science were sufficient to make a low-confidence assessment that COVID-19 originated from that lab in Wuhan, China. The whistleblower further contends that to come to the eventual public determination of uncertainty, the other six members were given a big-time monetary incentive to change their position. Today, House investigators are requesting Director Burns turn over all documents and communications related to the COVID team and the origins of the coronavirus, including its correspondence with relevant federal agencies and the team's pay history. Burns has until the 26th of this month, 13 days from today, to respond to the subcommittee's request. Likewise, the subcommittee is asking McRitus to participate in a transcribed interview on that same day, September 26th, because of the central role that he played in forming this COVID team. The select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic published a report in July in which they accused former National Institution of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director Tony Fauci of orchestrating a campaign to discredit the lab leak theory at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic. I bet you Fauci thought that all went away because he hadn't heard anything about it. It's not going away. Assessments from the FBI and the Department of Energy have concluded COVID most likely originated from that Wuhan, China laboratory where coronaviruses were being researched. Does that surprise you? (laughs) Nothing out there today, nothing in this government, nothing from especially intelligence agencies and especially people at the tops of these intelligence agencies like 
the CIA, the National Institutes of Health, Anthony Fauci, the FBI, Christopher Wray, on and on and on. It's like they've gotten too big and too powerful. Oh, by the way, that judge in D.C. that's going to be over Trump's case, big thing coming up. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, at truthnewsnet.org. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough know. for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, oh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Supermodels. Right. What do you model, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Right. Eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Tell you somebody who resonates with that little saying there, you're receiving heavy flack, it means you're over the target. That would be Donald Trump, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I don't know anybody that has more attacks on him than does Donald Trump. And so far, I would say knock on wood, but I'm not superstitious. So far, he's um, he stayed above the fray. And I'm praying for the truth. That's what I do. That's what I pray for when I talk about these political leaders up there. I want whoever's in charge to be safe. I want them to be successful because they work for us. You don't want anybody that works for us to fail, right? But I pray for facts. I pray for truth. And I pray for everybody that's in office of any kind. And even if it's an appointed office, a bureaucrat, I want them to be successful when they're working for us. And if they're not doing the right stuff, I pray for them to be moved out and replaced by somebody else. Whoever's in there, we want them to be successful. Well, this D.C. judge, Tanya Chutkin, she has responded, we told you last week, Trump's legal team, they made a motion to get her to recuse herself because she's biased and it's proven over and over and over again because of her own biased comments regarding Donald Trump. While her tilt has been evident to anybody without Trump derangement syndrome, Chutkin and friends have not yet acknowledged her inherent partiality 
or have willfully chosen to ignore it in the hopes that the former president will be locked up without a fair trial. According to the motion filed by Trump's legal team, Chutkin herself made the comments that Donald Trump should be prosecuted and imprisoned prior to this present case now before her, making her neutrality appear somewhat of a challenge, and that's being kind. She's already farmed her opinion. Nobody can credibly say otherwise. So the disqualifying statements made in October last year were in reference to the events surrounding January 6th, noting in part her frustration that while others were being prosecuted, Trump was still, in her words, free. Chutkin stated, quote, it's a blind loyalty to one person who, by the way, remains free to this day. Can you believe a judge would actually say that? In December of 2021, Chutkin stated that it was her belief Trump was singularly, by himself, responsible for the events that took place on January 6th and should be prosecuted for that. Chutkin said the results of the 2020 presidential election were clear-cut, but that is actually not the case, as information regarding fraudulent voting activities are still being debated to this day, and many have been proven already that they were irregular and were fraudulent in courts, by the way. Judge Chutkin has garnered an infamous reputation as being merciless on January 6th defendants who have come before her. And so, following Trump's motion, she issued an order demanding special counsel Jack Smith's team file any opposition within three days and warn Trump's legal team to give Smith notice before filing such a motion or risk having future motions denied without prejudice. Let me give you, I'm going to read you her exact response. Minute order as to Donald J. Trump. Upon consideration of defendant's 50 motion for recusal, it is hereby ordered that the government shall file any opposition no later than September 14th, 2023, and the defense shall file any reply within three calendar days from the filing date of the government's opposition. All of the deadlines set by the court remain in effect. Defense counsel is reminded of the requirement to confer with the opposing counsel before filing any motion and to indicate whether the motion is opposed. See September 5th, 2023, second minute order. Future motions that fail to comply with that requirement may be denied without prejudice. Signed by Judge Tanya S. Chutkin, on September 11, 2023. Judge Chutkin warns Trump lawyers in that order, and that's where we are so far. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. We'll find out if Jack, Jack Smith, if he's going to resist the removal. I don't see how anybody can. I mean, she is so obviously tainted in her opinions about Trump. How in the world could she give him any kind of fair treatment in that court of law? I'll tell you this. If she remains the judge of record in this Trump trial, 
it will prove to the world that there is no equal justice under the law in the United States of America. It's impossible for her to be impartial. She can say what she wants to. Most of the American people will never believe she's impartial. In fact, most of the people on the left, they know she's impartial, and they're praying that she stays on the case because she's, in, she's not impartial. They know she hates Trump, and they want her to run this trial. Wow. I'm going to break, break rank for a minute about our normal topics here at TNN Live and talk to you about a very important one. Maybe not in the context of the things we've been talking about so far today, but in life they really are. NFL is back at it. NFL season started last week, and it's without question, if not the most popular professional sport in the United States, it's in the top two, maybe three. But to begin this season something very uncomfortable has happened. NFL players are ripping the league office because of artificial turf. Now, artificial turf has been around for a long time. We all know that. The Astrodome, remember, way back in the 60s, that was the first facility that had artificial grass. And basically, it wasn't grass. It was just a piece of carpet that was put down over concrete. But there have been... We are told, and I'm going to get into it because I have some personal knowledge about how this works, but the current artificial turf is more like grass than anything else that's ever been out there. But Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, longtime quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, who uh, moved to New York to play there for the Jets on his first play, in the game this weekend, he tore his Achilles tendon, which is a horrible, horrible injury. And I'm going to give you some facts. You're going to get this for free. This is kind of like a, a stop and breathe easy for a few minutes in this show. It's information, but it has nothing to do with politics. I, for a long time, I owned two different arena football teams. And we played indoor, but we used the same turf as they use on the the outside. And I've got a lot of knowledge about what happens to it. Yes, at the very bottom of the structure of one of these artificial turf fields is concrete. But there are layers of material, including a lot of sand in between that and the actual surface. But still... It's harder underneath, in most cases, than natural turf. I get that. And a lot of these football players out there, they like to find something to blame for anything bad that happens. They're humans. They're like us. I mean, that's human nature. Well, in the league, I was chairman of the board of the Arena Football League for a number of years. And one particular year, in training camp, Now, at that time, I think we had about 23 teams in one training camp, which training camp was two weeks, and that's where your players come back, and, you know, this is after they've laid off for a year, and they're getting back in shape, and 
many players are coming in to be looked at to see if they would be signed permanently. All that kind of stuff is underway. But the big thing is to get in shape to start playing games again. you got to remember the ages of these players now. The Arena Football League players typically were several years younger than the NFL players are today because most of the Arena Football League guys, they were guys that were coming out of college, weren't quite good enough to get that break into the NFL, but they're working to get that break. So they're a few years younger. But we had 13 players on different teams that tore Achilles tendons in training camp this one season. Every one of the 13 players were linemen. Now, what does that mean? Much bigger guys, larger, bigger guys, heavier, which means throughout their football careers, they were carrying around more weight than the regular linebackers, defensive backs, wide receivers, and quarterbacks. So that all takes a toll on tendons and ligaments in all of our bodies. Any doctor will confirm that. So in those cases, we decided that year that from now on, we would have mandatory, sporadically spread out through the offseason, linemen had to come into camp and spend a week. And during that week, and had to do it three different times in between seasons, all they concentrated on was stretching, stretching their ligaments, their Achilles tendons. And do you know the first year after we did that, we did not have one Achilles tendon incident over the entire league the next two seasons. And I got out after that, and I don't know how it's been since, but I've not heard of any problems. Well, these millionaires at the NFL, they think differently. Aaron Rodgers' devastating season-ending injury has reignited that debate surrounding artificial turf fields, prompting several NF players to call out the league. Rodgers had an MRI yesterday. Confirmed, he's 39, remember. And he's a big guy. He's not a lineman, but he is a big guy. But he's 39, 39, 39 years. He's been playing football his entire high school, college, and professional life. He suffered a torn Achilles on the fourth snap of his career. I was wrong. I said the first. His first time, first game with the Jets. Fourth play in the team's overtime victory over the Buffalo Bills. He was sacked by a linebacker, Leonard Floyd, and eventually carted off the field. Several of his teammates pointed to the field conditions at MetLife Stadium, specifically the turf, which was replaced earlier this year after overwhelming criticism around the league. Now, let me what let me tell you what I know about that turf, that stadium, MetLife Stadium. And it's not just MetLife Stadium. Do you know every NFL team, every one of them for the last decade, they are required to replace their field every season in their stadiums. These players know that. And they still griped, blaming the field. We wanted the NFL to protect the players with grass fields. 
But the NFL is more worried about making money, Jets receiver and Rodgers' longtime teammate in Green Bay, Randall Cobb, said. Profit over people, it's always been the case. I've never been a fan of turf. That's my stance. Jets cornerback DJ Reed took to Twitter, the company formerly known as Twitter, by the way, it's now X, to share a similar sentiment. We need real grass for all of our stadiums, he said. Packers offensive lineman David Bactiera also blamed the turf for Rodgers' injury in a series of messages. Congrats at NFL. How many more players have to get hurt on artificial turf, he wrote. You care more about soccer players than us. You plan to remove all artificial turf for the World Cup coming up. So clearly it's feasible. I'm sick of this. Do better. MetLife Stadium. Now, they're the home of the Jets and the New York Giants. Both teams play their games there, their home games there. They replaced the previous turf field with a brand-new improved synthetic surface in March. According to an ESPN report at the time, the new multi-layer dual polymer monofilament fiber version promised to reduce turf-related injuries. Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley told The Athletic that the new field is a lot softer, but added at the end of the day, grass has always been the best. You know what's missing in this conversation? And you would think the players' union, if they agree with these players that are griping, the union would go dig up the facts and be able to compare when every team had real grass fields, compare the injuries that happened and the type of injuries and the specific players to compare with this one. They didn't do that. Let me tell you this, something else I know factually. If the Players Association had the information that proved what their employer, the, the employees that they uh, they represent, all NFL players, they'd be all over the news demanding it. You know why they're not? There's no proof that injuries like this, a torn Achilles tendon, are more often likely to happen on an artificial turf field than on a grass field. But the one commonality is the one that we experienced in the Arena Football League. We had a bunch of 300-pound linemen that weren't being working out very carefully, stretching their tendons sporadically throughout their offseason. They would come back to camp, and those Achilles tendons had drawn up and just gotten brittle, and they pop because they weren't being stretched. They don't want to talk about that. They want somebody to blame for the superstar, Aaron Rodgers, to go down, who, by the way, makes $200 million in his contract, multi-year contract, and his contract is 100% guaranteed. So if he can't come back next season... Aaron's got a big pot of money in his pocket, that's for sure. You're juvenile, mate. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. 
So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a Dare Ice Coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta Coffee Kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A Dare Iced Coffee Fix will fix it. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Yo. Some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. By now, everybody knows who Republican Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert is. She's kind of a radical out there. She um, She's very proactive. She speaks her mind. Well, speaking her mind, she is proposing to decrease the salary of an Immigration and Customs Enforcement appointee who worked for a group that advocates against deporting migrant children Bobert wants to pay that person $1. $1. That's a whole salary as part of a Department of Homeland Security DHS appropriations bill. Bobert proposed an amendment to the bill to decrease the salary of ICE Assistant Director for the Office of Immigration Program Evaluation, Claire Trickler McNulty who is Regional Director for Legal Services as Kids in Need of Defense, which helps illegal migrant children fight deportation. Hmm. While at ICE, Trickler-McNulty has expanded social services and programs that monitor illegal immigrants outside of the detention setting. The Biden administration has hired a staunch supporter of illegal immigration for a senior-level position within the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Claire Trickler-McNulty, ISIS and D- Director for the Office of Immigration Program Evaluation, advocates for open borders and is implementing policies that encourage illegal entry. That's Bobert in a statement to the Daily Caller. She is undermining ICE from within and threatening our national security. In response, I've taken action by invoking the Holman Rule to reduce Claire Trickler-McNulty's salary to just $1. 
While even a dollar may seem too generous for someone actively contributing to our border crisis, it represents a crucial step in holding unelected officials like her accountable. KIND, K-I-N-D, has also received funding from left-wing mega-donor George Soros' Open Society Foundations and the Vera Institute of Justice, which advocates against immigration detention, period, and has labeled federal immigration enforcement authorities a threat to civil liberties. Forget about that rule of law thing. Oh, we don't hold them accountable when they break the law. Yeah, right. She created a position for herself and is effectively the top person running immigration at ICE. Career staff in ICE's policy shop have been largely sidelined or barely participating in the development of policies. That's former ICE chief of staff during the Trump administration, John Fear. He recently said that publicly about Trickler McNulty. The same is true of ICE officers running various operational divisions. Instead of being viewed as subject matter experts who can provide ideas and guidance, they're made aware of policies only after policy drafts are in their near final form, kind of like Congress does it. My assumption is that these policies are largely written by outside anti-ICE organizations and then distributed by their allies and former colleagues now working inside the White House inside DHS and ICE. ICE has been expanding its Alternatives Due Detention Program, which is used to monitor illegal migrants released into our country under the Biden administration. There were roughly 83,000 in the ATD program by the end of fiscal year 2019 and roughly 85,000 by the end of fiscal year 2020. Now this comes from ICE. After Joe Biden took office, ATD enrollment jumped to more than 136,000 in 2021. In fiscal year 2022, it climbed to 322,000. As of late August, there were roughly 195,000 individuals enrolled in the program. So I wonder what happened. We went from 83,000 to 85,000 to 136,000 to 322,000, and then now it just suddenly dropped to 195,000. Under Biden, ICE has also expanded social services for illegal immigrants through case management programs. You realize we're paying for all this stuff? Their case management programs provide services that include mental health support, legal orientation services. During a September 2021 webinar entitled From Immigrant Detention to a More Effective U.S. Immigration Custody System, Trickler McNulty talked about a shift within the agency away from detaining illegal migrants. This is insane. This is insanity. Do you realize what they're doing? These programs, Trickler McNulty, who's an employee, your employee, my employee, she taught this. She taught this from immigrant detention to a more effective U.S. immigration custody system. And it was built 
to get ICE to move away from detaining illegal migrants. Let me tell you what they need to be doing and the only thing they need to be doing. They need to be enforcing immigration laws. Immigration laws are very plain about this. When they catch somebody coming into the border, across the border illegally, they're supposed to be vetted quickly, put in jail until their vetting is done, and then returned immediately to their nation that they came from. Period. That's what the law says. If they want to live here legally, they've got to come here legally under the law. Unless you're Joe Biden, unless you're Alejandro Mayorkas, unless you're Javier Becerra, those people at the top of the Biden administration that touch all these touch points in immigration, they've decided they're above the law. They don't have to abide by the law, so therefore none of these people that are breaking the law when they come across our border, they don't have to abide by our law. We're going to do the right thing. We don't care what those who are doing the legal thing, they pass these immigration laws, including Joe Biden when he was in the Senate. They don't care about those things. It's inhumane to make these illegals abide by law. Oh, we just don't do that in the United States of America. We're Democrats. We do what makes us more powerful. And we're going to get these millions of peoples in here and we're going to screw everybody else in the nation and find a way to make them legal. Give them the right to vote and remind them every election cycle. Democrats are the ones that got you these rights. Democrats got you legal to be here. You've got to vote for us. If you vote for anybody else, they're going to kick you out of the country. Yeah, I get emotional about it, but I'm for supporting the rule of law. There are actually laws on the books that I don't agree with. But I do agree with holding people accountable for not enforcing those laws. Nobody. Nancy Pelosi said this all the time. She was speaking about Donald Trump. She never said this about herself She never said it about Barack Obama, and she certainly has never said it about Joe Biden. Nobody's above the law. It was only about Donald Trump. And by the way, there were no laws that anybody could point to that he broke. And still that way, still that way, that man has not been convicted of anything. Oh, yeah, we still believe that, at least at my house. In the United States, you're innocent of anything and everything unless and until you're proven guilty. So everybody knows Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook and uh, also WhatsApp. He's got another one now. He's got a new platform, but it's the same Zuckerberg. And guess what's happening in his new platform? platform. (laughs) Threads is the name of it, by the way. It's leaked, linked, not leaked, but linked to Instagram. And it's supposed to be a sane alternative to X, which was formerly known as Twitter, which we all know. But guess what we found out? Threads, 
Zuckerberg's new one, is blocking searches that are related to coronavirus and vaccines. The two words are among a number of terms that are blocked in the app's new search function, according to the Washington Post. Meta acknowledged in a statement to the Washington Post that Threads is intentionally blocking the search terms and said that other terms are being blocked, but the company declined to provide a list of them. A search by the Post discovered the words sex, nude, gore, porn, coronavirus, vaccines, and vaccination. All of those words are among words that are blocked. That's on threads. The search functionality temporarily doesn't provide results for keywords that may show potentially sensitive content, the statement said, adding that the company will add search functionality for terms only once we are confident in the quality of the results. Lucky Tran, who's Director of Science Communication at Columbia University, discovered this himself when he attempted to use threads to seek out research related to COVID, something he says he does every day. I was excited by search on threads, he said. When I typed in COVID, I came up with no search results. Same's up. (laughs) Same operations. This time it's in thread. And still to this day, nobody's holding these social giants accountable for their censoring of American speech. I wonder if we'll ever do that. Well, probably not, as long as they're accepting those big contributions from Twitter and Thread and Facebook and Google. Money buys you a lot when you make big campaign contributions to politicians, doesn't it? Former President Trump's legal troubles at the hands of all these politicized prosecutors have been the fulfillment of the ultimate revenge fantasy for many leftists, but some won't be happy until the current, by the way, Republican frontrunner draws his last living breath while locked up in the bowels of some federal dungeon. Sirius XM host and MSNBC regular Dean Obadala insisted that it is absolutely necessary for Trump to die behind bars if democracy is to be saved, a word that no longer bears any resemblance to traditional liberal principles and is perverted as a cloak for the authoritarianism of the Democrat Party, which in many ways has become even more totalitarian than Vladimir Putin's Russia. The rabid left-winger welcome mediate writer Tommy Christopher on Friday's edition of the Dean Obadala Show, and he falsely claimed that the January 6, 2021 ruckus at the Capitol was a legitimate coup d'etat that had a serious chance of overthrowing the entire government and called for Trump to be given what amounts to a death sentence when he is inevitably convicted by a D.C. jury that hates his guts. A coup d'etat, by definition, is a unauthorized by the government 
attempt to overthrow through force the current government and the people that are in it. That's what coup d'etat means. What force was used by these insurrectionists that went to D.C. January 6, 2021 to overthrow the government? Weapons? No weapons. Who in their right mind would go to be a part of a coup d'etat, a military takeover of the United States, and not have any weapons? The same old crud again and again and again. Ask about whether Joe Biden should be making his case for reflection by asking, do you really want to vote for a guy who might die in prison? Obadala responded with his sick remarks about Trump. No, I think Donald Trump, I think Donald Trump must die in prison because I don't care if he was 45 years old. You should get life in prison if you attempt to coup and there should be no chance of parole. I don't care who it is, he said. That's why I think Donald Trump or anyone else in terms of who must die in jail, because either we're going to protect the Democratic Republic or we're going to allow people, in this case Trump, to chip away our democracy, chip away at what we believe in these institutions, Obadala continued. That's why I'm so passionate about, like with every fiber of my being, that Donald Trump has to live out his natural days his last days of natural life in a prison cell. Obadala doubled down on his death wish for the former president in a Saturday post to X, formerly known as Twitter. Quote, Trump at his rally last night looked very ill. I despise Trump, but I do not want him to die until he is tried, convicted, and sentenced to prison. Trump must die in prison as a warning to all who attempt to coup that you will face same fate. That's only way to protect our republic, he wrote. Leaving out the term democracy this time in favor of republic, another term likely set to be bastardized by those on the left. And people accuse me like, oh, you say things that get people riled up like, nope, I or get what you said. I get organically riled up about this because I believe in this system, he added, defending a system that has morphed into one more reminiscent of Stalin's old Soviet Union than that of a free country. And if you don't believe me, so be it. But if you believe in it, I don't think there's any conclusion could bring that. Donald Trump has to end up in a prison cell and live his last days out in that prison cell. No matter what happens to Trump at the hands of the weaponized judicial system, he will go down in history for having a successfully smoked out the fascist who had long been successful in hiding. And I don't know who this guy Obadala. I've seen him. I've heard him. I don't think there's any credibility there. But isn't it, isn't it strange to find out there are people that actually feel that way? Talk about being eaten up with anger and hatred. Oh my gosh. That's taking it to the extreme, I would say. Well, you know who Megyn Kelly is. Probably the most opinionated woman, opinionated woman on the conservative side in media today. She says 
it just like it is. Well, we had the U.S. Open last weekend up in uh, just southeast of Manhattan. And she took her family and they went. And she had a complaint about it. Oh, I thought it would be good for you to hear. I went with my family, my husband and my kids to the U.S. Open finals last night, the men's finals. But one of the things that jumped out at me was it opened without the national anthem. They opened with a combination. It was like a medley of phrases from America the Beautiful and Lift Every Voice and Sing, which has become known as the Black National Anthem. But with nothing about America, because I guess we're not allowed to celebrate us and what we stand for by playing the national anthem. We did, there wasn't the moment where we put your hand in your heart. I thought that's what we were doing. Everybody stood. I put my hand on my heart, told my kids to do it. And then they launch into the black national anthem. I'm like, all right, I guess we have to go through this in order to get to the actual national anthem that unites us all, black, white, left, right. No, they never played it the night before 9-11 in New York. That would have been unfathomable just 10 years ago. And yet we see these things that happen. We talk about them just like you heard Megan. I mean, that's a very obvious place to make an objection. You go to our national championship in some sport, I don't care what sport it is, and you don't hear the national anthem? Oh my gosh. That has become something throughout generations that just happened. What did the United States of America do that has alienated so many people? It didn't do anything by itself. People are the ones that pervert anything and everything that gets perverted in whatever way it is. And yet you heard her say they played the song that has been informally recognized as being the black national anthem. And you don't want to draw straws. You don't want to play the race card every time something like this comes up. But what could it have been, not playing the national anthem, but playing that song, but a bow to acknowledge that racism is still alive and well in sports, in life, in the United States of America, and that we've got to do reparations of some kind. It's all about that. Everything is about that. Look, it boils down to this. There's no way you can be held responsible, even if they try to, and even if you agreed to allow them to try to make you accountable and hold you liable for any wrongdoing that your mother or father or grandparents, great-great-great-great-grandparents and their brothers and sisters did that was evil. There's no way to try to balance based upon coming up with some arbitrary idea or concept to do that. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And yet today, there are millions of Americans that are scared to death to say anything about that that happened. Megan Kelly, she just she just comes on her multi-million listened to and watched program on Sirius XM and points out the insanity of that happening. And it is. But yet, instead of stand up and be counted, we just sit there and yawn and never say a word. 
Evil prevails when good men do nothing. I don't even remember who said that originally, but boy, it is right on. Talk about saying stuff. Do you remember through the first year of the Biden administration, Joe and Vice President Harris, everywhere they made a public speech, they bragged about what they had done getting rid of child poverty in the United States. I heard it last week. Kamala Harris herself said this, since we've been in office, the Biden administration has cut the poverty rate in the U.S. in half. We cut it in half. Kids, we are the ones that are taking care of the kids. Well, guess what? It ain't true. In fact, we saw a sharp rise in the government's supplemental poverty rate and a fall in real incomes for Americans starting in 2022 with the rate for children more than doubling. According to census data, the government's supplemental poverty measure and what it does, it calculates poverty by including the impact of government programs, geographic variation in housing expenses, taxes, medical expenses, that all increase for children from 5.2% in 2021 to 12% in 2022, while overall poverty increased by 4.6 points to 12.4% during President Biden's second year in office. Now that's coming from his U.S. Census Bureau. Biden blamed the rise in child poverty seen under his tenure on a lapse of the expanded child tax credit. That's according to a Friday statement from the White House. Higher frequency data released since 2022 strongly suggests that some of the 2022 income dynamics that census is expected to report next week have improved substantially in 2023. As employment and labor supply have continued to reach new highs, inflation has fallen substantially. Inflation hasn't fallen at all. And real earnings have grown, the White House said Friday before the data had been released. On the other hand, the increase in poverty is likely to persist absent congressional action to restore the enhanced child tax credit as President Biden has proposed. So, let's talk about the official numbers. The official poverty rate. That one measures how many Americans fall below a certain income threshold. It remained the same at 11.5% for 2022. That's according to the census data. The increase in that uh, measure was the first since the metric was introduced in 2010. The median for real household income, it fell 2.3% in that same time frame from 76,000 to 74,000 following a period of high inflation that degraded real wages, according to the census data. The loss in real wages from the year accompanies persistently high inflation, which peaked at 9.1% in June of 2022. Inflation, it's come down a bit, but it still remains elevated above the Federal Reserve's 2% target. The rise in poverty comes as debt reached an all-time high in the second quarter 
at $17.06 trillion, our debt. That's crazy. $17.06 trillion. That's not the government debt. That's American people's debt, with $1 trillion of that being credit card debt. That isn't good news, is it? And so you want to hear some other good news? You're going to love this. A provincial Chinese Communist Party secretary set up a talent recruitment workstation. You just can't make this up. Set it up at the Silicon Valley headquarters of a Chinese-owned company that's planning to build two taxpayer-backed battery plants in Michigan. Set up a recruitment talent recruitment operation. In 2017, a Communist China delegation visited the Fremont, California headquarters of Goshen Incorporated. That's according to Chinese language news website, Sohu.com. During their trip there, the party secretary leading the delegation presided over the establishment of an overseas talent workstation in Goshen's U.S. headquarters, That's another report published on the website of the firm's Chinese parent company. Haifa City government officials sought to use that overseas talent workstations to attract experts from the U.S. and Europe to work in NY province in China, according to a committee policy paper released the same month as the delegation's visit to the U.S., China's talent plans are showing no signs of letting up. Ina Mitchell, a Canadian investigative reporter who's written extensively about the Chinese influence and its espionage operations. It's a brain drain game and a danger to America's national security and economic health. Goshen, they plan on building two electric vehicle battery plants in Big Rapids, Michigan. The project has support from Michigan Democrats. It's in line to get $715 million from Michigan in state subsidies. Many Republicans have come out against the project over Goshen's ties to the CCP through its Haifa China-based parent company, Goshen High Tech. It was recently reported that Goshen High Tech employs 923 Chinese Communist Party members, 923, including its CEO, who is also the party secretary for the firm's Communist Chinese Party Committee. Under his leadership, Goshen High Tech has run multiple company field trips during which employees dressed as Red Army soldiers and pledged allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party. Can you believe this is happening? Can you believe that people are applauding this very thing happening? Wow. I guess you heard about the appeals court upholding the injunction blocking the CDC, FBI, White House from any censorship. A federal appeals court Friday upheld a modified version of an injunction in the landmark Missouri versus Biden case, blocking the White House and federal agencies 
from pressuring social media companies to censor American citizens. However, two major arms of our government, the sprawling State Department and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, were exempted from the modified injunction, which was upheld, by the way, by the U.S. Court of Appeals of Fifth Circuit down in New Orleans. In a win for opponents of this online censorship, the entire FBI remains blocked from demanding any censorship from social media companies under the new injunction, as is the CDC, the White House press secretary, and a host of other Biden officials who applied pressure to the tech platforms during our pandemic. Under the injunction, the named agencies and individuals shall take no actions, formal or informal, directly or indirectly, to coerce or significantly encourage social media companies to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce, including through altering their algorithms, posted social media content containing free speech. That includes, but is not limited to, compelling the platforms to act, such as by intimating that some form of punishment will follow a failure to comply with any request, or supervising, directing, or otherwise meaningfully controlling the social media company's decision-making process. In fact, (laughs) it means leave it alone, boys. Don't mess with it. You're going to get in trouble. Hey, guys. That's going to wrap up the Wednesday show. Thank you for being here. we got a couple of days left. Big, big day tomorrow at TNN Live. We'll see you at 9 in the morning.
Yeah.